Hello, family, and welcome. We're Bob and Penny Lord, and today we want to share a very powerful man in our church, Blessed Padre Pio. Padre Pio, born Francesco Forgioni, lived in the poorest section of Pietrelcina, Italy. He was poor, but by his own testimony, he never lacked for anything. He grew up a very sensitive, very spiritual boy. At age five, he went into ecstasy and had an apparition of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Jesus appeared to Francesco, beckoned him to the altar. He placed his hand on Francesco's head. His vocation was sealed. Francesco began to have apparitions of Our Lady. It was also then that demons began to torture him. These battles continued on and off all his life. Francesco wanted to learn, but there were no schools for him to attend. Two farmers from the town volunteered to teach the children. Their major qualifications were that they could read and write, but that coupled with their sincere desire to help the children started a school. Francesco knew what a sacrifice it was for his family to sponsor him in the school. But when he told them that he was serious about becoming a religious, they knew they had to make much greater sacrifices. Grazio, the father, left his family and went to Jamaica, Long Island, New York. There was no way he could support his son's education with the meager earnings he earned from the land in Italy. He worked hard on the Long Island Railroad and sent the money home. At 15, Francesco received permission to join a Capuchin friary. A few days before his entry into the seminary were filled with visions from the Lord. This was to prepare him for the battle which lay ahead. Jesus allowed Francesco to see the plan, the treacherous enemy, the obstacles, the impossible odds. Jesus acted as Francesco's guide. He laid him, led him onto an immense battlefield. On one side were radiant men dressed in white. On the other, hideous creatures dressed in somber, dark, gloomy colors. Jesus pointed to a towering monster bigger than anything Francesco had ever seen. Francesco's knees began to shake. Jesus told him he had to go to do battle with the creature. He pleaded with the Lord not to ask him to do it. There was no way he could be victorious over such a grotesque beast. Jesus repeated his request to Francesco but said he would be at his side. Francesco went into the ferocious combat. The pain inflicted on him was excruciating, but he was triumphant. The monster fled, as did all his repulsive followers, screaming at the top of their voices, making inhuman sounds. This vision petrified him for the next 20 years. In reflecting on it, the 35-year-old Padre Pio shuddered as he spoke of it. Jesus told Francesco he would have to do battle with this demon all his life. He showed Francesco the worst so that he would never underestimate the enemy or let his guard down. On the night before he entered the friary, he was given the vision of our Lord Jesus and his beautiful mother Mary. In this vision, Jesus put his hand on Francesco's shoulder as he had done when he was five years old. Mother Mary spoke to him gently, tenderly, motherly, burrowing through to his soul with her beautiful gaze. Francesco took the religious name of Friar Pio. He threw himself into seminary life. Everything he had ever experienced was an anticipation for this time. He prayed, he studied, he cried over the passion of his Lord Jesus. He maintained silence most of the time. 
Others who had entered the fraternity before him marveled at how he embraced the religious life. It was a miracle how he managed to go through six years of training. He suffered bouts of illness all the time. In addition, he was under attack by messengers of the devil. There were physical abuses that went on during the night that would leave him in a pool of perspiration and exhaustion in the morning. There were onslaughts against his purity. Naked women manifested themselves before him in all forms of lewd behavior. But these were the obvious. The more deadly attacks came in the form of demons disguised as spiritual directors, respected confessors, even as Jesus and Mary. They tortured him during the night, criticizing, admonishing him from not being good enough, not holy enough, not studious enough. In 1909, he was ordained deacon of the church in anticipation of his ordination to the priesthood the following year. He became ill. He had to return home to Pietrelcina. This was to be the strangest seven years of his life. Each time he returned to one of the friaries, he became deathly ill. He never lasted more than a few months. He had to go home. The reason he went back to Pietrocina was because he was ill and he was not able to stay at the seminary. So they would send him home. As soon as he got home, he felt better, but he didn't go back for several months. He spent most of his seminary years in Pietrocina. I asked the Capuchin brother at Pietrocina, did the devil ever attack Padre Pio there? The brother smiled. He said, wherever Padre Pio was, the devil followed. Despite all of his trials, Father Pio was able to continue his studies with a local priest and was finally accepted into the priesthood in 1910. This was the happiest moment of his life. After his ordination at the Cathedral of Benevento, his superiors ordered him back to a particular friary. He, was, he always went obediently, but within a short time, he was so sick, he had to return home again. There was a friary nobody had ever thought about, hidden away in a mountain village called San Giovanni Rotondo. In February of 1916, Padre Pio's provincial ordered him to Foggia, to St. Anne's Friary. He vowed that Padre Pio would stay there until death, if necessary. His condition became steadily worse. Then the superior of the friary at San Giovanni Rotondo came to St. Anne's to preach a novena. Upon seeing the emaciated figure of the young Padre Pio, he invited him to spend a few days at San Giovanni Rotondo, where the mountain air would probably do him a lot of good. Padre Pio accepted and went to the high mountain friary. Here his breathing became better. The Lord's plan had been accomplished. He asked to be permanently assigned there. He was given permission... Everyone was happy. Padre Pio sent Father Benedetto a letter on the birthday of Mary, September the 8th, 1911. In it, he said he began to receive what he termed as red patches about the size of a scent accompanied by an acute pain in his hand. He told his superior that this had been happening for almost a year. The physical signs disappeared, but the pain continued. Then the Lord granted Padre Pio a very special favor, one that would give him joy and pain for the rest of his life. On August the 5th, 1918, he received the gift of transverberation of the heart. Padre Pio wrote of this experience, While I was hearing the confessions of our boys on the evening of August the 5th, I was suddenly filled with extreme terror at the sight of a celestial being, being whom, whom I saw with my mind's eye. He held a kind of weapon in his hand, similar to a steel sword with a sharp flaming point. At the very instant I saw this, all I could see was a person hurl the weapon into my soul with all his might. It was all done in a split second. I was hardly able to cry out and felt as if I was dying. 
Padre Pio's experience of the bittersweet love of Jesus. The bitter pain of his physical wounds were mixed with and overpowered by the sweet spiritual ecstasy he tasted as he contained his Lord in his heart. September 20th, 1918 was a major turning point in the life of Padre Pio. He described the events of the day himself. In the choir, after I had celebrated Mass, I yielded to a drowsiness similar to a deep sleep. I was suddenly filled with a great peace and abandonment. I saw before me a mysterious person similar to the one I had seen on the evening of August the 5th. The only difference is that his hands and feet and side were dripping blood. The sight terrified me at first, and what I felt at that moment was indescribable. The vision disappeared, and I became aware that my hands, feet, and side were dripping blood. Padre Pio was tested all his life, but never so much as the years immediately following the receiving of the stigmata. Nobody really knew what to do with him at first. They tried to keep it a secret from the outside world. That didn't last very long. Within a few months, word had spread all over southern Italy. Pilgrims came to the little quiet hamlet of San Giovanni Rotondo from all over to see, to be prayed over, to be healed by the priest with the wounds of Jesus. There were also the curiosity seekers, the skeptics, the anti-clerics and the fanatics. They converged on the town. It was mass chaos. There were not enough hotels, restaurants, restrooms, or, or police to control the crush of humanity that overtook San Giovanni Rotondo. Correspondence from secular newspapers from all over Italy came. Unwittingly, the friars gave them all the information they needed to write juicy stories for their newspaper. Padre Benedetto came down hard on the superior of the friary and the friars. From now on, I forbid the communication to anyone and for any motive whatsoever the intimate news of these happenings which have already occurred or will occur. But it was too late. The news began a chain of events which has never subsided. Now, instead of throngs from Italy coming to San Giovanni Rotondo, people from all over Europe and then the Americas flocked to see Padre Pio. At about the same time as this was happening, the medical examinations began. The ecclesiastical authorities enlisted the aid of three doctors. Of the three, possibly the most famous was Dr. Romanelli from Rome. After his investigations, he stated that the wounds were from autosuggestion and the application of a strong chemical such as iodine. But bottom line, there, were no, there was no cause. They were not caused by supernatural causes. The other two, Professor Binyami and Dr. Festa, came down on him like a ton of bricks. They disproved beyond a shadow of a doubt his findings and through intensive investigation offered proof that there were many aspects of Padre Pio's wounds which were unexplainable by human or scientific terms. Many of those opposed to Padre Pio sincerely thought they were following the voice of the Holy Spirit in their judgments against him. But the fruits were so strong. Bishops and cardinals asked for his prayers. Padre Pio had a friend in Pope Benedict XV. He considered Padre Pio as one of those truly extraordinary men whom God sends on earth every now and then to convert sinners. He defended Padre Pio against attacks by members in the Vatican who openly criticized the Capuchin stigmatist and cast doubts about the veracity of his gift. But the Lord didn't choose to make Padre Pio's life easy. He was to be a victim. He had said yes to that, and the Lord was holding him to his commitment. 
Pope Benedict XV died suddenly on January the 22nd, 1922. Six months later, the Holy Office made a decision with regard to Padre Pio. He was not allowed to say Mass for the people, but privately. He was not allowed to have Padre Benedetto as his spiritual director. He was not allowed to correspond with him in any way. He was not allowed to correspond with any of his followers asking for spiritual directions. He was to leave San Giovanni Rotondo for somewhere far away from his province, perhaps northern Italy. An example of this came about when orders came down that Padre Pio would not celebrate Mass for the people of the village. The day was June 25, 1923. Padre Pio, in obedience, celebrated Mass privately in the Friary Chapel. What followed was recorded by his superior, Padre Ignazio, to his provincial. The people regard this decision as offensive and almost as a punishment inflicted on him, and convinced this was only the first of many other more serious orders, they held a meeting in the piazza, and it was decided that they wouldn't leave it all, and they wouldn't leave it all until the repeal of the said order was obtained. A mass of people, around 3,000, climbed to the friary asking for assurances with regard to Padre Pio's transference and his celebrating Mass in public. The upshot of all this came crashing down on Padre Pio in an order from Rome, written on May the 23rd, which was received in San Giovanni Rotondo on June the 9th. In it, all of Padre Pio's priestly powers were taken away from him, with the exception of celebrating Mass, which had to be done privately. He could not hear confessions. He could not give any spiritual direction. He was virtually a prisoner of the friary. This went on for two years. Tensions ran rampant in the little town, but Padre Pio distanced himself from them as much as possible. He went through his daily routine peacefully, obediently, although his heart was breaking. All that he was, all that he did, being a priest was taken away from him, and he had to say yes. But God is in charge. God is always in charge. We know he didn't cause this tragedy in the life of Padre Pio. He allowed it for a time, then decided when it was enough. When it was enough, on July 16, 1933, Padre Pio was given the right to celebrate Mass for the people. This was followed by permission to hear men's confessions, and pretty soon he was performing all his priestly duties for the people. That trial was finally over. What was Padre Pio's life? Confessional? The sacrifice of the Mass? Our Lady was molding him just as she had been molding Jesus. I'm sure she was instructing him. Confession has never been a popular sacrament. Yet in San Giovanni Rotondo, the crowds were so enormous, they had to start a numbering system to go to confession to Padre Pio. And it was not an hour's wait or two hours. At times, it was a 10-day wait for Padre Pio to hear your confession. We're told that very often after a penitent waited however long for Padre Pio to hear their confessions and finally entered the confessional, he threw them out. Can you picture waiting 10 days only to be thrown out? But he knew exactly what he was doing. He took chances for sure, but the Lord had given him an insight that what he did had to be done. Sometimes the penitent would just get back on the line, and by the time he reached Padre Pio a second time, he was in the proper spiritual state to confess his sins. There were other times when it took two years for a penitent to return. Then when he or she would reach the confessional, Padre Pio would exclaim joyously, Finally, I've waited two years for you to come back. Or, testador, a hardhead, why did you wait so long? We call Padre Pio victim priest. As I recall, when he would leave the sacristy, 
to go to the altar or leave his room come, to come down to offer the sacrifice of the mass. It seemed as if he, would, if he was getting heavier and heavier and it was getting more and more difficult for him to walk. It was not that he was getting heavier, but that he appeared that he was weighed down by the cross. And at times he would seem to be shaking as he would go to the altar and people would say to him, are you afraid when you say mass? Why is it that you shake? And he would say, no, I'm afraid of what I have to offer. He had such a strong relationship with Our Lady throughout his life. When the attacks came, and we have heard stories about Padre Pio being beaten badly by the devil as soon as he called out the name of Jesus or Our Lady, the demons would flee. I've often wondered why he didn't call out for help sooner. And the answer I've been given is that I really believe that when we speak about Padre Pio from the time of his ordination at age 23, you can really understand him in the light of victimhood. Another possible explanation would be redemptive suffering. He held out as long as he could before asking for relief from the beatings of the demons for the conversion of sinners or for the souls in purgatory. Why Padre Pio today? The people ask us why miracles of the Eucharist today. Why are we learning about miracles of the Eucharist? And we tell them that in times of crisis, our Lord will bring about a miracle of the Eucharist, his blessed mother will appear, or he will raise up saints, powerful men and women. Padre Pio was more than a powerful man. He was a sign of the cross. Why did our dear Lord Jesus raise up Padre Pio at this time? Because of the attacks on the cross. Take Jesus off the cross. Isn't that what we've been hearing? The Mass is what? The ongoing sacrifice of the cross. We're told, let's forget about sacrifice. Let's talk celebration. Let's talk breaking of the bread. Let's talk unity. Let's talk people. Let's talk social justice, but no cross. And so our Lord confounds the mighty. He raises up a cross, a walking crucifix, a walking, bleeding Christos on the cross. Nothing is by accident. The Home for the Relief of Suffering was officially opened on May the 5th, 1956, with 300 beds and all the most updated equipment. There were over 15,000 people on hand for the inauguration. Pope Pius XII sent his apostolic blessing with a statement read by the Capuchin Superior General. In it, he highlighted the work as being truly a work inspired by a profound sense of charity in the spirit of the gospel in St. Francis. Within a few days, the beds began to fill up. Everyone was joyous at the work that was being done. Everyone, that is, except Padre Pio. He was looking towards the future, to the day when someone would tell him there was no more room and they had to turn people away. The day he feared came within a year. The hospital administrators reported to him, Padre, the hospital is full. We cannot admit anyone else. As a stopgap measure, he told them to put extra beds wherever they could in the library, in the offices, in the hallways, but do not say no to the sick. On the second anniversary of the opening of the Casa, Padre Pio detonated the dynamite to begin the addition of more rooms, the first addition to the, the casa. The casa can accommodate 1,200 beds at present. Padre Pio was truly a servant of God. He had a lifelong love affair with our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. To him, the Eucharist was the center of all spiritual benefits. As a young man, before he entered the priesthood, he spent hours in church adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. After his ordination, 
He went into ecstasy during the consecration of the Mass to the point where parishioners complained about his long Masses to his superiors. Very often he cried during the Mass. It was not weeping so much as it was deep, involuntary sobbing. He cried from the depths of his soul. When he beat his breast during the Confidior, it was as if he was accusing himself of all the sins committed by man. Giant tears cascaded from his closed eyes onto his beard. Padre Pio's mass put him into a drama of Calvary. For him, it was relieving daily the pain which had wounded him in soul and body that morning of the 20th of September, 1918. The mass was his daily restigmatization. We can track Padre Pio's love and relationship with Our Lady back to age five. It continued all his life. He mentioned at various times in his life that he received apparitions from Mary on a regular basis. He derived a great deal of his strength from these apparitions, especially when he suffered the onslaught of the demons and grotesque monsters sent from hell to torture him. One of his followers wrote about Padre Pio and Mary. When he spoke about his heavenly mother, as he called her, he could hardly contain his emotion. When he recited the visit, the prayer to the Most Holy Rosary, He often could not keep back the tears and emotions in the tone of his voice. And sometimes he was seized by such violent sobbing that he could not continue the recitation of the prayer. Padre Pio in his last year, 1968, was one of the most difficult physically. For many years, he had been partially disabled due to the stigmata and also to his own health problems, which had plagued him from childhood. In 1965, when the Mass went to the vernacular from Latin as a result of Vatican II, Padre Pio received permission to continue to use Latin. This was not because he disapproved of Vatican II findings, but because at his advanced age it would be impossible for him to relearn the Mass. In the early days of 1967, he received permission to sit during the Mass and have physical assistance during the consecration of the Mass. Padre Pio celebrated his 81st birthday in May 1968. But for a normal man reaching this age, the body would be in the process of falling apart. But this is Padre Pio we're talking about, the crucified Christ for 58 years of his life. Early in 1967, he had developed asthma. His physical condition just went downhill from there. During his last months on earth, his wounds began to dry up. They literally stopped gushing the way they had for the better part of 50 years. The wounds in his side became smaller. Those in his hands and feet ebbed a mixture of blood and liquid. The Lord chose to take Padre Pio on the weekend of the 50th anniversary of receiving the stigmata. In retrospect, it was possible the Lord wanted as many of his spiritual children as possible to be there for the end. And so it was. Many celebrations were planned for that weekend, the blessing of the crypt, the way of the cross, and the official recognition of the Padre Pio prayer groups by the Vatican, all were to take place on those three days. He struggled through the day of his anniversary, Friday, September the 20th. He celebrated Mass at 5 a.m. and took part in the rosary and benediction. There was a crush of people. The lack of air may have caused an asthma attack, but it was not severe. Saturday, September the 21st was worse. He was not able to celebrate Mass. He snapped back as as was his way and went on to take part in the rosary and benediction. But that was it for that day. He stayed by himself for the most part for the rest of the day. Sunday, September the 22nd, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He felt too sick to celebrate the Mass. But he knew the church would be filled to overflowing. He could see the disappointment on the face of Padre Camelo. 
always obedient to his superior. He gathered all the strength he had, most likely prayed to the angels for support, and celebrated Mass. He even sang the Mass. Towards the end, he collapsed and was grabbed by the brothers. He recovered momentarily and continued to bless the crowd. Padre Pio kept asking what time it was. Four or five times within the next three hours, he asked the same question again. Each time, Padre Pellegrino came in and told him the time. Padre Pio appeared quite disturbed. His eyes were red. He was crying. After midnight, Padre Pio called him again. His hands were shaking. This was the first time he gave any indication that he was getting ready to leave the world. He asked Padre Pellegrino if he had celebrated Mass yet. The friar responded it was much too early. Padre Pio said, well, this morning you will offer it for me. At about uh, 1.30 a.m., Padre Pio asked to change from his pajamas into his Franciscan habit. The friar, Padre Pellegrino, stayed with him. He became fearful for Padre Pio. He was slipping quickly. Padre Pellegrino wanted to go for help. Padre Pio told him not to call for anyone. The younger man knew he had to get aid. He ran out of the room and went to Brother Bill Martin's, Father Joseph Pio's room. Brother Bill came back with him, and after looking at Padre Pio's condition, the doctor was called. The doctor arrived in very short order and began working on Padre Pio, but the Lord had decided it was enough now. Come home, my son. At 2.30 a.m. on the 23rd of September, 1968, Padre Pio of Pietrocina, loyal son of the Father and the Church, and left this earth. He final words, Jesus, Mary. Padre Pio was a gift to the people of God of the 20th century. When Mother Church chooses to raise him to the communion of saints, the qualities of sanctity in Padre Pio will not be solely that he bore the stigmata for 50 years of his life, that he had the gift of bilocation, the fragrance of heaven, or the many miracles attributed to him during his lifetime. The proclamation of his sainthood will come from the extraordinary spirituality he showed during his ministry, his enormous love for our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist, his devotion to Mary in the Rosary, his willingness to take on the sins of the world during his 18-hour days in the confessional, his inspired writings, his spiritual counseling, his obedience to his superiors, most especially his holiness, the Pope, and possibly more than anything, his lifelong commitment to his sacrament, his priesthood. In short, his loyalty to the body of Christ, the mother of Christ, through the vicar of Christ. We have been to major feast day ceremonies in the church, but we must admit that we have never seen a tribute such as that given to Padre Pio at his beatification on May 1st, 1999. Please load our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Here's how to download our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Simply with your iPhone or Android device, go to the App Store, search for Bob and Penny Lord app, and download it. It's that simple. Here's what you can do with our free Bob and Penny Lord app. Number one, the, there's a link to our marketplaces, our websites, uh, our uh, blog, and this podcast. The second link is to our Bob and Penny Lord TV channel where you can access all of our videos as seen on EWTN, plus a whole lot more. Thank you very much.